0: KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Barat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu.
1: Morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Wednesday, March 2nd, reacting to the State of the Union. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. The return of Padres baseball to Petco Park is on hold. Major League Baseball is canceling opening day and the first two series of the regular season. Commissioner Rob Manfred made the announcement following a busy few days of negotiations in Florida. Team owners and the players union are still far apart in agreeing to a new collective bargaining agreement. Pay for younger players, arbitration rules and expanding the playoffs are among the key issues. training is already on hold as for the impact here in San Diego the Padres first home stand against the San Francisco Giants and the Colorado Rockies was canceled Tuesday's announcement pushes back a potential start of the season to April 7th the soonest home game in San Diego would be April 14th the San Diego County Board of Supervisors voted 4-0 to zero on Tuesday to ban county investment in all fossil fuels as part of an effort to combat climate change. According to Supervisor Tara Lawson Reamer's office, the action will prohibit investments in any corporation that engages in the exploration, production, drilling, or refining of fossil fuels. Here in San Diego, February was the 10th warmest February on record and also the 10th coolest in terms of average high and low temperatures. Some meteorologists call that a long thermometer month. It was the only month on record since 1874 that there were temperatures in the 90s and in the 30s in the same month. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. What did some Ukrainians and others in San Diego think of the State of the Union address? KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado has some local reactions.
2: Nadia Haywas, who lives in San Diego County with roots and loved ones in Ukraine, listened closely to Tuesday's State of the Union address.
1: It's very nice to see um, bipartisan support.
2: While she appreciated the bipartisan support and aid for Ukraine, plus the sanctions on Russia, she says they're not enough.
1: Ukraine is fighting this war for all of Europe. It's not fair. All of Ukraine is grateful for all the military support, but I
2: think it's it's going to need some more personnel. Karine Hoare, a professor at the University of San Diego and an expert in White House communications, says the president's message on Ukraine hit the mark. To show strength, to show resolve,
3: and to send a message around the world, that this type of behavior that Putin is exercising will not be tolerated. And there is strength not only here in the U.S., but among our NATO allies. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS
2: News.
1: New regulations for street vendors are officially on their way to San Diego. KPBS Speak City Heights reporter Jacob Eyre says street cart operators are worried about what that means for their future. Angela Herrera started selling jewelry in Balboa Park six months ago after her
0: other job was impacted by the pandemic. The newly approved proposal will cut back on street vending in the park.
1: Sidewalk vending saving our life. I can't, I can't set up anymore. I can't do my business anymore. Where's my income? My daughter is right now 15. She is a very sensitive age and sensitive time. She's going to go to college, you know. I don't want to infect her. The new ordinance would ban street vending in Balboa Park and at parks in several beach communities during the summer months. There are also limits for vendors downtown. The ordinance is expected to go into effect in June. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News. San Diego is getting more than $8 million to help struggling tenants pay rent. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says it's a pandemic lifeline that may not last much longer.
0: The extra money comes directly from the federal government as a reward for San Diego's relatively successful distribution of past rent relief funds. Those dollars are part of the COVID-19 relief bills passed by Congress. So far, the city has given out more than $175 million in aid. City Councilmember Marnie von Wilpert says San Diego should be proud of that.
1: Over 15,000 tenants and families have received assistance, which goes directly to landlords who are able to then keep their mortgage payments going. They're not foreclosed upon. We do not have an increase in homelessness worse than we've already seen.
0: The extra $8.3 million is a small fraction of what the city requested. It's unclear how much longer the program will last before the funds run out. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News.
1: The city and the San Diego Foundation are celebrating the positive impact of COVID relief grants for small businesses. KPBS reporter Matt Hoffman has more on where the money went.
0: The city of San Diego's nonprofit and small business relief fund has distributed 12 million dollars. There was a focus on underserved areas and in total nearly 1,700 businesses and nonprofits received aid. During the pandemic, the Women's Museum of California moved from Liberty Station to southeast San Diego. Executive Director Felicia Shaw says the organization operates on a shoestring budget and a $100,000 check went a long way.
3: $100,000 I had to pick myself up off the floor. But receiving the nonprofit relief fund grant has been a true game changer for our museum, and the timing couldn't have been better.
0: 10 million million for the program came from federal COVID relief funds, while the San Diego Foundation provided the other 2 million. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News.
1: coming up two years into the pandemic and the wait time for state hearings on wage theft cases has only increased. This almost encourages employers to continue exploiting. You know, the chances of there being repercussions seem to be very long, far down the line. We'll have that story next, just after the break. Delays for state hearings on wage theft cases are hurting low wage workers who are hoping to recover the money they're owed. Now new data obtained by KQED shows just how much those wait times have ballooned in recent years. KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports that workers with claims in Oakland and San Francisco face some of the worst delays in California.
3: Mirna Arana sits at a park near her house in Oakland and unfolds documents from the California Labor Commissioner's office on her claim for thousands of dollars in unpaid wages. She says she worked 12-hour days, six days a week, cleaning offices and homes for a small janitorial company. But her employer only paid her for half that and didn't pay overtime and meal and rest breaks, as required by law. She plucked up the courage to complain to the state in 2018 but it took more than three years before the labor commissioner held a hearing.
4: It's
3: hard to wait that long, she says. It meant that her family had to move three times when the rent went up and they struggled to buy food. Employers can settle with workers at any time, but by law, the labor commissioner's office must hold a hearing for an unresolved wage claim within 120 days from when it's filed. That's not happening. In 2015, California workers waited almost twice as long for a hearing. Now, they're waiting close to seven times as long, 812 days on average, according to figures we obtained from the Labor Commissioner.
0: I want to acknowledge that that is not a number that we want to be at.
3: Daniel Yu is an assistant chief at the agency.
0: We want to make sure that the process works effectively and efficiently so that the workers are able to get their hearings resolved as quickly as possible.
3: He says when the pandemic started, the agency halted in-person hearings for a year and a half, which slowed things significantly. And there are only about 64 hearing officer positions statewide to judge thousands of wage claims per year. 12 of those positions are vacant, says
0: you. The hiring of our hearing officers uh, remains a top priority.
3: He says the agency will get funding to hire four more hearing officers this summer. But that's not enough staff to cut the wait times, says Veronica Chavez, a workers' rights attorney with Centro Legal de la Raza in Oakland. Clearly it's not. They do need more. Like a lot. A lot more.
1: (laughs) Just the Oakland and San Francisco offices need, need many hearing officers.
3: Even before the pandemic, those offices faced among the longest delays. And last year in San Francisco, the average wait was 968 days. In Oakland, it was 1160 days, more than three years. This almost encourages employers to continue exploiting. You know, the chances of there being repercussions seem to be very long, far down the line. One of her clients is a restaurant cook named Alexander. We're not using his last name because he fears it'll hurt his case. He was hopeful when he filed his claim back in September 2018. Three and a half years later, he's still waiting for a hearing. He says not knowing if he'll ever get paid has left him hopeless and depressed. <inaudible> State Assemblyman Ash Kalra, who chairs the Labor Committee, says he understands workers are frustrated.
0: D- delays that go on for years is completely unacceptable, uh, and we have to do better.
3: Kalra says he's ready to push for more resources and support for the labor commissioner, including to make the job of hearing officer more attractive, so the agency can compete for candidates who might go to the private sector.
0: And you also have that class. Classifications, the job classifications pay more. And that's not something that can necessarily be legislated, but it is something the administration should look at.
3: Back at the playground in Oakland, Mirna Arana tells her three-year-old son it's time to go home. <laughs> she finally got her hearing. And last December, the Labor Commissioner ruled that her old boss owes her nearly. but by then, the company had filed for bankruptcy, she says, and it's unclear if she can collect her wages. She says she wants the state to resolve these claims faster to help fight the injustice of wage theft that's hurting her community.
1: And that was KQED's Farida Javala-Romero reporting. While technology has come a long way since the 1980s, one San Diegan says the old school tech is still the new school style. KPBS's Maya Trabolsi introduces us to Boombox Chuck, known for his love of retro culture, especially the boombox.
2: It's an iconic machine. The boombox is like a bodily extension to Miguel Nunez.
4: I'm recognized for something I never even thought would happen in my life, which is carrying a boombox and rocking a style like that. He
2: goes by the name Boombox Chuck and is well known for his passion for vintage music
4: systems. I'm new school to the old school, but I saw the boombox and I just knew immediately I could be that guy walking around the city with a boombox blasting music.
2: Born in the 80s, an era when boomboxes were prolific in urban American pop culture, his love for the style and music of the time started at an early age.
4: The elements are like graffiti, DJing, be breakdancing, be boying, and be growing, and MCing, which is like rapping in a sense. Everyone could have a style, everyone could be themselves. And I think that's what a lot of the culture promoted in the early days.
2: Fast forward to today, when Nunez is not working at Pokey's vegetarian Mexican restaurant. <laughs> He's often seen walking the city streets, audibly spreading his love of retro beats to all who cross his path.
4: I have conversations with all kinds of people, all kinds of walks of life, all ages, all ethnicities, and I just see something so sacred in that. So maybe by default, I'm reminding people to be themselves, you know, and to express themselves most importantly. Responsibly, of course, you know.
2: His collection of boomboxes is made up of specially selected personal favorites. This is my
4: baby. It's the one I started with. Speakers on top. Check that out. It's about six-speaker system, double deck.
2: The you only know, thing now. hindering his acquisitions is lack of space to store you know,
4: them. Sanyo again. Very good brand. One of my favorite, favorite right now. Prize recession, never for sale. Let's see what we got. I will hunt them down every weekend, every chance I get, every flea market. And then you see a boombox out of nowhere, you're like, whoa.
2: And the bigger the box, the bigger the size and number of batteries it requires.
4: Batteries are a very consistent part of rocking a boombox, playing a boombox.
2: Nunez holds hope that a battery company might take note of his mass consumption and possibly help him along the way.
4: It's just like a trip how many batteries I may have gone through. I can't even imagine. I, and that's why now I want to kind of better document it because eventually I want to send the battery company a portfolio like, hey, what's up? Uh, I could be a potential marketing gadget.
2: And audio cassette tapes are becoming more like treasured vinyl. Nunez says tape sales, especially for local bands, have made a resurgence. Big
4: box, big box.
2: He says most record stores in San Diego sell cassette tapes.
4: The the old-fashioned physical copies, reading the credits or the details or the special shout-outs, you know?
2: But there will always be an element of those plastic cassette tapes that no one will ever miss.
4: Out of nowhere, sometimes my tape would just get, like, eaten up. I'm like, oh no, I had the best mix ever. I'll never get that again.
2: In a time when technology has allowed us to have so much more than we did in the past, to boombox Chuck, it's the past that feeds the present. For him, the self-expression born of retro culture will always play on a loop. Maya Trabulsi, KPBS News.
1: And that's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at KPBS.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day.